all. Oh, where's that little boy going? Uh, sorry, for those who are online, there's this, the cutest little boy that was sitting up front. And now he's leaving to go with the kids. So cute. He was going to be my, my person. Now I'll just look at my husband or the camera. And every once in a while, I'll go like this. It's, it's good to be here. And that was amazing worship, Ashish and the team. Let's give them another round of applause. That was really something else. Well, as you know, we are going through the story of the Bible, and it's the big God story, and what we also call the meta-narrative. And last week, we kicked off the book of Psalms, which was so much fun because it was interactive, and we got to share our favorite Psalms as pastors, but you also got to write in your favorite psalm. And that was really a lot of fun to see the favorite psalms that just span our church. But we also asked you two questions. What barriers keep you from being honest with God and community? And why does it matter that we are honest with God? And so that kicked off the series, To Be Honest which is perfect because the Psalms is a series of poems and prayers that are brutally honest, that contain both lament and repentance and exuberant, exuberant praise. So for the next two minutes, we're going to watch a quick video from Pastor Steph's future friends, from the Bible Project, because they are going to be friends someday. And if they're going to be friends of Pastor Staff, they're going to be friends of ours. And it's just going to give you a brief introduction to Psalms. Take a look at the video. We've been talking about poetry in the Bible, how biblical poets love design and masterfully use metaphor and symbolism. These poems invite us into an experience to ponder ideas slowly and from many angles. And the largest collection of poetry in the Bible is the book of Psalms. So that's what we're going to look at here. Now, the Israelites composed lots of poetry throughout their history. Yeah, poems were written by Israelites, sages, kings, and prophets. Some poems were sung by choirs in the Jerusalem temple, while others were prayed by families at home. And over the centuries, the most important and widely read poems were compiled together to be read or sung on special occasions. And I'm familiar with books of poetry, a large collection of the greatest poems in one place, and I can read through and pick my favorites. But the Book of Psalms isn't that kind of collection. Here, each poem has been expertly crafted and then placed where it is for a reason, to create a storyline from the book's beginning to its end. The Psalms poetically retell the entire biblical story, and they invite you into a literary temple. A literary temple? Yeah, so the tabernacle and then later the temple in Jerusalem were where ancient Israelites went to meet with God. When you arrived, you would see art and imagery everywhere. You'd see priests performing rituals. You'd hear songs and prayers, all of it symbolically proclaiming that your God rules the world from this mountain and you're in his living room. So the temple was a place to be in God's presence and also to immerse yourself in the story of God's kingdom. Exactly. And so try to imagine how traumatic it was when the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem, plundered and burned the temple, and then took many Israelites into exile. Yeah, where can they go now to meet with God, to sing their story and say their prayers? That's where the book of Psalms comes in. It's a prayer book for exiles designed as a virtual temple. 
You enter the Psalms to meet with God and to hear the entire biblical story of God's kingdom. That's just a tease. You'll have to watch the rest of the video. But the Psalms, in the first chapter, it really does give you the foundation. When it says, blessed, which I talked about last week, because that was my favorite Psalm, Psalm 1. We're talked about blessed are those who are fulfilled or blessed are those who are happy about meditating on God's word and delighting in God's word because they are like a tree that is planted by rivers of water that brings sustenance and stability and allow the roots to go deep. Blessed is the person that does that. And the reason that we need to delight in the Torah, in God's word, is because we can become spiritually malnourished and dry. Because God uses his word to minister to us, to speak to us, to encourage us. And these spiritually dry times is what we call the Valley of Baca in Psalms 84 or translated the valley of weeping. As you see in the picture on the screen, it references a very dry and arid place. And now some of you have been saved for like a hundred years. You've been Christians for like forever. Some of you were like born, you know, born to be in the womb, right? You said yes to Jesus. Some of you, when you were a child, maybe at camp or a teen at a retreat, or you committed as an adult, or an older adult. But as Christ followers, we can go through these spiritually dry periods in our relationship with God, because we are not always on the mountaintop. Now imagine David slaying Goliath. That's a mountaintop experience. But he was also in the valley, like when he's running from Saul or his son Absalom. But for us today, when we are in the valley and we are just trying to get through the next minute or the day or the month or the year, for many of us, 2020, we were literally just trying to get through 21, 2020. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Only to come into 2020, 21, which has really brought up more challenges. And it's, we see how unsettled our world is. But we also see that as a country, we are struggling. We don't always know how we get to these dry periods in our life on this journey. We don't always know what happened. But if we process it long enough, we can recognize the signs. Being spiritually dry is more than just missing a Sunday of church or missing devotions for a week, or forgetting to pray over your meal. The realization of being spiritually dry may have become started when you couldn't remember the last time you prayed for a meal. Or in you, your spirit, you just feel disconnected from God, and you're just going through the motions. What catapults us into these valley experiences can be a host of things, but today I'm just going to mention four. First of all, we are easily distracted. We're distracted with our job, with our families, with our family dynamics, with school, with sports, 
with sports activities and social media where we can just scroll and scroll and scroll. We're on boards, we're on committees, we're on teams, our life is busy, our life is full. Secondly, we can be filled with disappointment of an unknown future where we wonder, where is God in this unknown? And we feel hopeless. There's doubt. We're tired of being in the waiting room of the unknown future. So we start making our own plans, sort of like Abraham and Sarah, after waiting 25 years for the promise, they decided to do things in their own strength, basically. Or the Israelites not waiting for Moses and became disobedient and landed them in the wilderness for 40 years, which should have been a couple of weeks. Thirdly, or there's disobedience and we decide to go a different way than we know that we should and we push God away and we start running in the opposite direction, like Jonah running away from Nineveh. Or fourthly, the thing that can catapult us into a dry spiritual journey is maybe an illness or a diagnosis, a loss through death, a fractured relationship with friends and family over issues of racial and social injustice. That has probably happened more last year than we can count. Any or all of these situations can catapult us or propels us into this place of spiritual dryness because we're wondering, where are you, God? Like David would often wonder. But let's think about life before. Before this period of dryness, there was a time of excitement and desire for God's presence, a time when our excitement for the things of God was like over the top and we couldn't wait to go to church or worship or be in community with others, hearing God's word, applying it, reading the word, hearing from God through his word, the enjoyment of prayer and basking in the Shekinah glory, not out of obligation, not to check it off of a box, but because we had a deep yearning to be in God's presence. And that is what the sons of Korah wrote about in Psalm 84 on their way to Jerusalem because they wanted to spend time in the temple to be in God's presence. And this section of Psalms was during a time when they were, the Israelites were exiled in Babylon. But I want to tell you quickly about the history of the sons of Korah before I read the scripture of Psalm 84. The sons of Korah were responsible for carrying the Ark of the Covenant, the table, the lamp, the stand, and the altars. They had to carry these holy items to the tabernacle, which is a portable tent where the presence of God would dwell on their shoulders and move these items from place to place in the wilderness being led by Aaron and Moses. Levi's other grandsons were able to use the cart carrying these items, the tent and the pegs and the poles and the curtains and the frames for the tabernacle. But the sons of Korah, they didn't like this role. And they decided to revolt and they wanted, because they wanted to be priests, and decided to burn incense before God when it wasn't their job, but the role of the priest. Now, it's not a bad gig to get to do this. But they wanted the recognition of leadership 
and being the priest. It may have been a bit more arduous to have to carry it on their shoulder, but you would think they would have been honored to carry these items, the Ten Commandments, the vase of manna, the rod of Aaron. They didn't realize what they had and were focused on what they wanted. And they didn't see it as a privilege. How many times do we complain about the things we think we want? That job, that family, that thing. And we're willing to risk disobedience for it. Every role God gives us is for a reason. And so as a result of their disobedience, and I know this sounds crazy, but because of their pride, the ground literally split open and all of their possessions and household were fallen into the ground. The earth literally swallowed them up and fire rained down on the others who lit the incense and were part of this rebellion. There were some that were spared because the line of Korah didn't end. If you look in the book of Numbers, but after seven generations, Samuel, who anointed David, came from the line of Korah. And they became doorkeepers and caretakers for the tabernacle. During the time of David, they became great choral directors of music. And 11 books of Psalms were attributed to them. They went from being this prideful generation to a praising generation. And all of these psalms by the book of Korah express gratitude and humility and longing for God, deep devotion for his presence. But they all recognize on the pilgrimage to the temple, they are going to experience the valley of Baca. So let's read Psalm 84. It says, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart, my flesh, cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near the altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are forever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they may make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. I want to focus on two parts of this passage. First of all, the psalmist loved the house of God with their entire being, their soul, their heart, their flesh. Now imagine coming to church in, the pres in, in person or online with the attitude that you're coming to God's house. You can't wait, and you come with a sense of expectancy. Or imagine coming to church with your entire self engaged, not just your body is there, but your entire being and your heart is not somewhere else, but it's really, really engaged. And I know that it's easy to be distracted at home when you have all these things going on. But imagine the thought of not being able to come to church that would literally make you faint 
And we have learned this last year, the church is not a building. This year has taught us that we have taken church for granted. In the West, we have access to church and we can worship freely. But we can get in the rut of an obligation as opposed to being in a deep desire to meet with the living God every time you come to church or every time you meet online. You should come with a sense of expectancy. I am coming to meet God. Because we can have great programs, we can have social connections, and we can have entertainment. But the church is a place to meet the living God. Charles Spurgeon says about the psalmist in this chapter, he loved the house of God because he loved the God of the house. And unless we realize the presence of God, we have done nothing. The mere gathering together is worth nothing. Secondly, in this passage, the psalmist found strength in the journey on the way to the house of God. Imagine if we were to only rely on ourselves as we travel through the valley, but found strength in the one who was walking with us through the valley. Imagine if we would view this valley as life, this journey in life as a temporary place. The psalmist says, as we pass through the valley of Baca, because we know at some point God is going to make all things right. Amen? Imagine if we use this journey to strengthen others. So as the sons of Korah are longing for the presence of God, there were times during this pilgrimage that they would go through this valley of Baca. The valley of Baca may not be an actual place, but this is what it represents. It represents uncertainty. It represents loss. It re represents difficulty. It represents spiritual dryness. But even in that place of dryness and aridness, there are these springs and pools of water, of refreshment that would help them to get through to the presence of God that was in the temple. So as we are going through life, this is what this valley looks like. This is what these springs look like. Those springs come up when you think you can't make it. Those springs come up when you think you can't make it another day. Those springs come up when you think you can't make it another day and you're ready to give up. Those springs come up when you think you can't make it another day and you're ready to give up and you want life to end. And this is what those springs look like when God's word comes alive for the first time in a long time. And you know without a shadow of a doubt God is speaking to you. Or there's a song you hear that you know God has used to minister to you. Or a conversation with someone who cares deeply for you and encourages your spirit. And that is a spring that comes up when God shows someone who literally allows you to, to cry on their shoulder. When someone tells you that they are praying for you, and they do, but they do it right then and there. When you feel God's presence and peace in the midst, in the midst of a crisis, that is a spring that is coming up. When God answers a prayer, when you don't even verbally say it, and he answers a prayer, that is a spring that comes up. 
when God blesses you with unexpected gifts and cards and a lemon cake. That is a spring that comes up. And these pools of water that give us what we need to make it to the next pool. These pools of water that are refreshing when our child goes astray. These pools of water that are refreshing when our marriages are in trouble. The pools of water that are refreshing when we lose our job and we feel like our dreams have died. The pools of water and refreshing that give us when our, when our friendships and our relationships are in disarray. As we live in this such a chaotic world, the valley is real. Sometimes it could last for a few days, a few months, or a few years. One commentary says the valley of weeping. It's a period of loss and sorrow and grief, deprivation, or disaster which God's child must pass during this earthly sojourn. And the glory of God's service is that it enables the worshiper to change even sorrows into springs of praise and thanksgiving. The rains mentioned in the same context are the reference to God's blessing upon those who suffer. Truth be told, we are all going through this valley of Baca right now. Living through a pandemic, racial unrest, even though it's always been there, it's just come to the surface. Our mistrust of government, our mistrust of each other, and we wonder where God is, because that is permeating our atmosphere. But how does God use the Valley of Baca in our life? There are these times in these places where we literally feel hopeless, and there's so much sorrow and grief but there is a reminder that says in one of the verses, as we pass through, as we pass through, the valley is not to be forever. It's a temporary place. It may seem like forever. 2020, we didn't think we we're ever going to get through 2020. But we did. And we will get through 2021. Even in the midst of these times, these springs of water that come up that are a blessing that gives us strength. These blessings help us to give praise and thanksgiving even through the most difficult times. The strength that we get blesses that we get. We get to bless others. The strength that comes up when we see our churches coming together to pray, to march to seek God's wisdom in regards to action for things like racial justice because we will be in it for the long haul. That's not going to be a quick fix. That is how we pass through. So what do we do on this pilgrimage, this journey called life? The word dwell is another word for abide. The word abide is used actually 10 times in John 15, verse 1 through 10. I won't read through all the scripture. But it reminded me of an experience I had in a retreat a number of years ago. If you've ever been to Pachamon Terrace, it's a great retreat space. And I had the opportunity to go there with Bethel students years ago for a 24-hour retreat. 
So I'm in my hermitage. I don't know what to do with my body. I don't know what to do with myself. I go from the bed to the chair to the little porch, back to the bed to the chair. Because I, I, just to settle, just to settle my spirit, to settle down. Like I had a hard time just settling. So I finally settle in the chair as I'm looking out of this green, plush woods. It's absolutely gorgeous to settle my mind down. And I settle my mind down, and you could see green for as the, the eye could see. Until my eye focused on a, 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 this patch that was brown. And I kind of got up and, and looked and like, what is that? Because everything else was green except this one patch of brown that I saw. And I'm not going to look. I'm just, I'm going to stay in my little hermitage. I'm not going to look. I just remember thinking that's really odd because everything else was so green. But I noticed that there was a branch was no longer used for shade or adding beauty to the trees and its surrounding. It was useless. There was this branch that had become separated from a tree. And so every time I sat in that chair during my 24 hours, it stood out to me even with the abundance of greenery in every direction. That source of life from the tree was no longer available. No glue or duct tape was going to get it working again. The sap that it produced to nourish a tree, to help it grow, it wasn't going to help. It, nothing. It was only good for kindling at this point. And Mill City, if we want to be effective in our community and beyond, in, in John 15, verse 5, it says, Apart from me, you can do nothing. And Jesus often repeated names or phrases to make a point, such as this, when he uses the word abide. And abiding can be difficult when things are good because we're so self-sufficient. That begins to happen when our clutch to the vine begins to get loose and we become comfortable because we're, hang we're not hanging on to the vine like we used to. Hence, moving into spiritual dryness. And before you know it, we're only praying at meals. We've left our Bible in the car between Sundays. We skip small group because a better offer is presented. Regular attendance becomes irregular. At church, becomes irregular. We compromise our time with Jesus by filling it with other stuff which there's a lot of stuff to fill it with because we've got every gadget and every show imaginable to watch. And we are catapulted once again into this dry place spiritually because we've been distracted, we've been disappointed, we've been disobedient, or we've been dismayed. We're not meant to do this journey or this pilgrimage alone, but with Christ. And it reminds us in John 15, that we need to abide, we need to dwell in God's presence, in his word. So let me just read these scriptures before I close. It says, I am the vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that bears no fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already made clean by the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. 
as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you make it, can, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm going to have the worship team come up. Jesus never got so comfortable to be disconnected from the vine, his father. And he would do whatever he needed. That total dependence on God is what Jesus models for us today. And Jesus knows that in ourselves, we cannot bear fruit on our own. Remember, apart from us, apart from him, we can do nothing. So to dwell means to abide, to be connected. And the sons of Korah finished the psalm beautifully because they knew that they were getting ready to be in God's presence. There was nothing like it. And they would rather be in the presence of God for one day than anywhere else. In Psalm 84, it says, verse 8 through 10, Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the house of the wicked. There was this sense of anticipation on the way to the temple. And even though there were going to be difficult times on this journey, through the valley of Baca, God provided a place of springs of refreshing where they would get strength. So the Lord is our source. If we don't, we will become dry. God's word is our source. Prayer is our source. But it's a continual process. So before you take, or as you're taking communion, I'd like to challenge you. When you go back this past year, and you think about the springs that came up in your life that literally got you to the next pool. I want you to praise God and give him thanks for what he did. And then I want you to bless somebody else and share that because somebody needs to hear it. Somebody needs to be blessed today by knowing that you got through the next pool and the next pool, and the next pool, and the next pool. Somebody needs to hear that today. For our family, 2020 was difficult. Actually, the last couple of years have been very difficult in our family. In 2020, it, it just went over the top. So when I talk about these springs that came up, I'm actually talking about my experience the lemon cake, the gifts, the calls, the texts, the notes, the praying for me right there on the spot. That got me to the next pool because the reality was there are days that I'm like, I can't do it, God. I can't do it anymore. But God 
got me through. And God will continue to get me through as he will continue to get you through. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises. And whatever promises that you have given someone in this room, on this screen today, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would encourage them today so they will remember that you are with them, you have not left them, you have not forsaken them. We trust you, Lord. We love you, Lord. And we give you honor and praise for who you are. In Jesus' name.